All right, listen up. We are back with another episode of the Construction Mentor Podcast. I have a pretty well-known guest today, the life of Bub, Garrett Davis uh, from Advanced Home Contracting. Right, Garrett? That's the, yes, that's sir. the name of the, of the business. Uh, yes, down sir. here in Florida, formerly of New England, which is where I hail from as well, uh, from hearing about his his story on several other podcasts and just some conversations that we have have had on the side. I think that we have a lot of parallels in the way that we grew up. Um, and, you know, obviously what we want to do with this podcast, the intent is to spread awareness of opportunities in the business. Um, I want to share people's stories of success, especially those that have overcome certain things in their life. And Garrett has a uh, pretty wild story that I think a lot of people could learn from uh, overcoming addiction, finding sobriety, but also uh, becoming his own business owner, you know, through a trade, not somebody that, you know, got a college education um, or even thought that, that was really necessarily for him. Uh, but he found a, a really good uh, niche skill set as a carpenter. And it's given him the freedom to, like I said, become his own business owner and do what I did. We're both New England guys that wound up in Florida. We actually live like an hour apart, but we are busy dads. And uh, we had we still have to do this remote because every second of our time matters. So, Garrett, how are you? We're both, we're both in our Lennar homes too, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking which speaking of uh construction, you know, two guys that know what they're looking at when they're looking at quality. I think we had a lot to say <laughs> about beautiful uh, beautiful, uh, beautiful layouts. That's about it. <laughs> a, yeah, beautiful layouts and a lot to criticize and I I find my punch list grows. I find more and more and I think as the house settles, uh more and more becomes apparent. So Are you I don't know that are you in like a community? Are you like in a Lennar community or are you like on the outskirts of one? Lennar and Pulte. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So two, you know, the two big heavy hitters. Yeah. Um, beautiful layouts, like you said, but definitely some quality control things. And I think you see that just with anything, right? Like your favorite restaurant is top notch until it becomes, you know, like Benihana, a Wolfgang Puck chain. <laughs> and then it just starts to suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now... Now, talk about your business, though, because you've built some very beautiful homes that are not that are <laughs> to a different quality. And you're obviously not the, you know, 100,000 home year developer that Pulte or Lennar are. Right. Talk about um, talk about advanced home contracting right now, what you were yeah, doing yeah. in Maine before you came down here and what you've been doing since you've been down here. Yeah. So um, down here right now. I feel like uh, with the economy, my brother-in-law and I are partners in the business. Um, we're kind of just putting the new construction type stuff on hold. Um, as mm -hmm. we know, there's just so many heavy hitters down here, Lennar and all these other big guys, DR Horton, um, which they can keep going in a slow economy because I feel like they must have the money to do it or else. Well, I think they got buying power too, right? Like when it comes to materials and getting choked off of the supply chain, like, they're at the top of that chain. Yeah, cheap labor too. Like, I mean, Lennar is like basically the mafia down here. I mean, they, they, I, I bought my house through them. I mortgaged it through them. I got my pool. Through, I mean, everything. It was like Lennar Realty, Lennar Mortgage, Lennar Title, Lennar. So they just have like, and and it, which is great because I was able to get a low interest rate in a time where interest rates are really high right now. So that was cool. Mm. Um, but you pay for the, you know, you pay for it, and I'm. I'm, I'm anal and I'm, I, I like stuff to be, you know, good quality. So moving into a home where they could just care less, uh, was definitely difficult for me at first. Um, I believe one of the, one of the PMs at Lennar told me that 
uh, quote for quote, I'm too picky. We're not fixing that. So it's like, and I just, well, I think, I think the worst thing that happens to them is when people like us yeah. come to move in, right? Like people <laughs> that know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so that was, that was an eye opener for, um, Florida for me. Um, cause that's not, that's not how I rolled up in Maine, but yeah, so we're, we're not, we're not diving into the new construction yet. That is a goal of ours. Um, you know, down here, you kind of have to have, you have to have the model home, man. You like have to have something that you can show people. Uh, that seems like most of the guys that are doing well down here that are custom home builders, they all have a model home, whether it's outside of their office or actually their office where they have people working. So people can actually come and see, um, what they can get, what the quality is going to be like. Um, so we're, we're putting that on hold and we're just, we're just doing a ton of renovations, man. Our renovations are booming down here right now. Snowbirds are coming down. Uh, we got a bunch of remodels going. We're doing very well. We're like well into next year with work and, uh, for where we are headed right now, I think that's, uh, something to be said for. Um, so I think a lot of people, so it's a good point that you bring up for a lot of people that want to start their own business, uh, for people that don't know people that want to get into the construction business, usually the interior renovation stuff is a good way to get your foot in the door. Like people don't just start digging holes in the ground and putting up buildings. Um, it's a good way and it's a sustainable, um, way to start your business because regardless of the economy, like a lot of people usually need to renovate something at some point. Totally, man. And like, that's, that's how it was for me in Maine. I mean, it was like, I was six or seven years in business before I built my first house. And that first house was actually my own personal house, which then after I posted that all over social media, that's when I got my first build. Actually, somebody that followed me was like, hey, I want to build a house. And that um, that led me into the home building in Maine um, before I left. So, yeah, it took, took time. And I love renovations, man. I love the challenge of, challenges of renovations. Um, down here, it's like all new challenges. You know, everything's block concrete. It's it's weird, you know? <laughs> like, oh, it's super weird. So that's that's a big thing that I had to get used to when I was down here. Again, we're both New England guys and everything where we come from, if it's even whether it's new or old, right? Because a bunch of houses are two, three hundred years old. It's all stick built, right? It's all wood. And then you get down here and the only thing that's wood are really the trusses and the roof, but everything else is block and concrete. Yeah. And it's just super weird. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like if you want to move plumbing in a, in a remodel, you have to jackhammer. You have to first, you have to find out where your main is. So you know where you're going to connect the new line into, and then you got to jackhammer. And yeah, it's, it's not like subfloor in a basement where you can just go oh, no. I'm gonna move that to there and drill through. A yeah. Couple of to get there, you know? I remember the first job that I was on, I was building a high school down on Marco Island down here and we're in a meeting and he said something about a tie beam. And I was like, the fuck is a tie beam? I have no <laughs> idea what a tie beam is. And he was like, what do you mean you don't know what a tie beam is? I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like where I come from, I have steel and columns and, and just beams, right? Like what's a tie beam? And they were just pouring one. Uh, so that was just like, it was just a new learning experience for me coming down here. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I mean, it's the coordination effort uh, is much, much, much different down here, at least on the perimeter. I mean, once you get to the interior and, and your walls are, you know, still studs and stuff like that, um, yep. it's a little more normal, but yeah, so advanced little... home contracting. So you, you got down here and I think your brother-in-law is an electrician, right? And he kind of had an into the interior renovation world. So my brother-in-law is also a carpenter. Um, he started, he had, so it was advanced home renovation solutions, which was his business uh, when he got down here. 
and then we changed the name. We're actually in the period of changing the name right now. It's weird down here with licensing and all that, but um, to contracting because contracting is going to be all our renovations and our new builds. And then on top of that, he's got another partner on the electric side who is an, a licensed electrician. So that's, he had, yeah. he used an electrician down here in his remodels. Um, he's a guy from New York. His name's Jason. He's a great guy also in sobriety. Um, and uh, he was like, who's this guy wiring my jobs? This is like the cleanest work I ever did. Him and J Jason hit it off. And after Jason and him did work together for a while, Jason was kind of like, hey, I want to start my own thing. And Mike was like, hey, here's the deal. I'll be your partner. Let's do this. So, yeah, we have in-house electrical uh, renovations. And then we have a window and door side of things, too. So we have a window and door crew. We, we supply. We buy PGT, Schwinko windows. We keep them at our shop. Um, we have a good good name with them. So yeah, we got like three things in our company right now and one So how many how big is each each crew? Um we have we have like three guys that work for us all the time um on the renovations and the window and door, like payroll dudes. And then other than that, like big window jobs like you just said Marco Island, like Mike um has done a lot of big commercial jobs for uh condo developments and stuff like that where mm -hmm. they put in like thousands and thousands of windows so on those big jobs he'll get you know as many subcontractors as he can buy airbnbs keep the guys down there in naples and stuff like that um but right now there's no really big window jobs we're just sticking with the re, uh, renovation um residential stuff for the windows um and i don't really have a big part in that um they have sales guys that deal with it. Him and Al are partners in that side of things. Um, the only time I come into a window door job is if there's construction that needs to be done, like headers that need to be added, demo that needs to be done, reframing, make the window sizes right, blah, blah, blah. Um, so then we'll, we'll get that homeowner in touch with me, and then I'll go see the construction side of things and give them a separate price. So we're kind of like three separate businesses all in the same. Nice. So yeah. how do you... Um, what are you looking at for revenue down here? Because last year was your first year, right? And it wasn't even a full year. Yeah, I've only been here. I've only been here since June. So okay, so you're six months in. Yeah, I mean, we have right now we have probably a little over a half million dollars worth of work going on, um, and then that's not including stuff that's going to be happening in the new year. So I mean, we're doing good. Yeah, I mean, six months in, half a million bucks. Yeah, that's, that's we, pretty good. We we that's landed, good. landed some really big jobs like Hurricane Ian shit. So, um, just one yeah. of those alone is like a two hundred and sixty-five, basically rebuild of an entire house because it just got absolutely destroyed. Yeah, I don't think people understand. Like, they're still cleaning up down here from Hurricane Ian, and it was sixteen months ago now. Especially um, in your area, man. Oh yeah, down here and especially in like Fort Myers. I mean, they'll be cleaning that up probably for another year. Um, you know, they they got some businesses back and hotels like patched up and stuff like that. But um, residential and commercial construction down here for a long time probably it's probably gonna take a decade to fully build it back. Seriously, man. I mean, there's so just in this area, there's still so many homes with like blue tarps and stuff and roofs not, and people aren't even in there anymore. It's just like. We've looked at probably since I've been down here, five or six jobs that are down to studs um, and people just don't have the insurance money and they don't have enough money to cover it. And they just don't understand, like you're down to studs. You basically have to rebuild your entire 
inside of your home and some of them still like the the one i was just talking about like the whole entire water intruded behind the block um and separated the stucco because they did a poor job on the stucco so our whole entire house has to be stripped of all the stucco restuccoed mm. massively rebuilt lanai roof redone so i mean it's just like dude it's wild and stucco is a little different like oh. we don't we don't have too much stucco in maine no not <laughs> <laughs> uh so what it what has um i mean you came down here and i know that you had a small crew and we'll, we'll get into the main stuff in a, in a minute but what has manpower been like down here i mean that's got to be tough i mean you probably have to be careful with how much work you take on because of the quality of labor that you can find what do you yeah. find how, talk about labor in florida how, how it's been what a challenge that's like we have uh three guys that work in house for us great guys um they're natives of Florida uh, on the East Coast. Now they live over here. Um, and they're great, man. They're loyal. They work hard. They they show up. They put in their time. Um, but other than that, like all of our subs, man, it's like, it's, I call it Florida time down here, man. People yeah. just like, it's, I just, I don't like liars. So like, if you're not going to come, just tell me. I'd rather you tell me you're not coming than- tell I just want to know what, what reality, <laughs> like, just tell me so I can plan around it like yeah. don't waste my time <laughs> yeah. yeah i'll be there at nine it's like okay you get there at nine and then it's like two hours goes by and then they finally show up and then it's like oh we don't have a ladder we gotta go you know it's just i it's so it's it's been it's in well, new england Maine, we work hard where we like that's why people like our company down here because we like we answer our phone we show up when we say we're gonna going to we get them an estimate and a reasonable time um, so it's funny it's funny because i was talking to a lady the other day but my wife and i we get an annual massage it's like our date like before christmas right so like we went and got a massage and i'm talking to the ladies rubbing my back and she's like oh yeah my husband's in construction he works at raymond building supply and i was like i fucking hate your cut your husband <laughs> because, <laughs> because i can't tell you how many times i've been waiting for shop drawings or for material and i'm like just just tell me the truth like i need to know when i can have the stuff yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they came and she was like, oh, no, trust me, like he wants to quit. You know, he's from Minnesota or whatever. Um, but there's a huge market down here and a huge need for like my dad lives in, in Punta Gorda by more towards you. Yep. And he, the amount of like side jobs and handyman stuff that he gets and people will just pay him hundreds of dollars, like never even mind an hourly rate. They're just like just the fact that you show up like when you say you're going to show up is huge. What have you seen for money here? Because I think the narrative is, is, you know, you're in a trade in New England and that's a, that's a livable wage and, you know, you can live an above average lifestyle as a tradesperson, but down here it's like slave labor and, you know, there's no money in, in the trades. Have you seen that here? It's dude, it's, it's, it's funny because there's a lot of money in Florida, but people are still the same as people are everywhere else. I mean, there's a lot of, cheap people down here and like you just said there's a lot of cheap labor so it makes a company like us that has the license the insurances the trucks the trailers the tools and all that we're not cheap we're like we're not a cheap company so like you're not a trunk slammer like people no. are afraid of trunk slammers down here right like somebody pulls up in a beat up sedan <laughs> they pull a grinder out of the, out of their <laughs> dusty dusty trunk and slam it before they come in right like that's not you yeah yeah no we have we have the licenses that you know, my brother-in-law is licensed. Um, he went through that process. Um, we have, you know, crazy amounts of insurance and we're, we have, we we're different because we have 
in-house. Like our electrical team, like we have a shop, like we all meet at the shop in the morning. Our three guys that are on payroll, our eight electricians, we're all there and we all have a game plan. Um, it's all in-house. We're like a little family. So we're just like not your average contractor in Florida. Um, but that's the New England thing, man. We're all, we're all not, none of us are from Florida. <laughs> yeah, right. So you, you basically, I mean, you know, what I'm hearing is that there's a premium for advance, but people are willing to pay it. There's a, there's a market of, of people out there that are willing to pay it because of the quality, uh, because of the accountability piece, because of the peace of mind that they know what they're getting. There's a guaranteed quality and uh, just showing up when you say you're going to show up that they get with you guys. That is hard to find in Florida. Yeah, dude. I mean, we, we just started a pretty decent sized job in Port Charlotte, right across from the sun seeker, actually the Allegiant hotel there that went up. Um, and, uh, you know, the, I gave the lady the price and she was kind of weary, but the first thing that she said was, um, well, you gave me your estimate a lot quicker than you said you were going to. Um, and then she added more work to it. She's like, I actually want my condo repainted. So she like, the price was high, but she knew that she was going to, you know, get the quality she wanted and she added more work. And it's like, we showed up, we threw our painter in there like two weeks later, he painted out the whole condo. We just showed up last week to demo out our kitchen and all three bathrooms. We demoed it all new cabinets installed ready for template right before the holiday. And it's like the countertops are getting fabricated this week. It's like, she's just like blown away by like how quick it has been. You know what I mean? Yeah. That most people I think across the country don't have a story like that. <laughs> it's, it's horror stories uh, everywhere, but I can tell you in Florida that uh, a lot of people have horror stories. Um, so take, take us back to the beginning, right? Like what was, um, so again, you, you guys can follow Garrett at, um, let the life of Bub on Instagram. Uh, great content. Uh, I think you got almost like 200,000 followers now, right? Uh, so very getting close, right? Getting close to, to breaking the ice there. Um, yep. so take me back to the beginning when, when you were a little bub, right? <laughs> what, what was life like for Garrett up in new England growing up? I mean, um, junior high what type of kid were you uh, uh adhd to the max uh <laughs> total skate rat love skateboarding that's like all i did um hated school man i just i coasted through school all the way up to the day i graduated man i i just graduated high school uh, my teachers couldn't wait to get me out of that high school um yeah man just like a high energy kid um active. couldn't sit still Oh, dude, no, oh, always in trouble. Well. Couldn't test well, like reading still to this day, like reading for me is, you know, I, in my in my sobriety and my spirituality, like I read a bunch of books and it's just like I got to like tame it down sometimes because it's just like like I just don't absorb stuff like that. I'm very hands on. Um, very it's funny because you I obviously I follow you, so I, I see how much you read <laughs> uh, and I'm in the same boat, believe it or not. I'm opposite and opposite though right like i had adhd but i was just naturally just did really well in school like master's degree degree in mechanical engineering i never read a book until i was 30 yeah. i actually i actually seriously like i i don't know how i did it but i faked it until i made it um i struggled to read it's been a huge um obstacle to overcome for me and i think that you probably read it at the same pace that i do uh but it's been huge for my personal development in the last you know couple of years i definitely recommend reading tip you know, anybody, no matter how long it takes you. Yeah. 
and I and I say like I don't absorb it, but then like I'll be having a conversation with somebody, and then all of a sudden I like like someone just comes out, and I'm like, oh, I guess I did absorb that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. in high school, so I mean, like, what what kind of were you getting in uh, just trouble, like as like a class clown, or were you uh, out in the streets of Maine wreaking Both. havoc? <laughs> Yeah, I was I was always a class clown. I think I got nominated class clown like I don't even know four years in a row. I just always was like um, very very loud, outgoing person. I still am. Um, you know, I just I always wanted people to to like me and stuff, man. So I just like acting out was the way I did it. And um, you know, drugs and alcohol were introduced into my life. I first had my first drink when I was like. 12 um i was smoking butts i think at like age 10 and i got caught i was at a skate park smoking a cigarette here i am like in fifth grade smoking a cigarette and uh, a teacher saw me and like told my mom so then like i didn't smoke again for a while picked that back up when i was 17 but yeah man, i just partied like uh i actually lived in jersey for like uh a year and a half my my parents got divorced my dad lived in jersey i went and tried living in morristown new jersey with him um and down there it was like they were on another level you know partying and stuff so like really young man it, drugs and alcohol were introduced smoking weed drinking beer uh drinking vodka so was your wait your parents obviously didn't have a good relationship if they like split and ran states apart um, yeah they my dad kind of chased the money uh chased the dollar my mom didn't want to go with them um he, gotcha. did well. he did very well in the corporate world um so yeah like blue collar wasn't even like like in my like family my father mother brother sister and myself like wasn't really there but i did have like an uncle um which mm -hmm. we can talk about in a bit that was very blue collar very redneck very hillbilly maine um built houses and that's kind of what um kind of started me into into that eventually so what about that appealed to you is it just the notion of not going to school is just something that you could do I just always thought my uncle was like the coolest dude ever. Like he always had the nice trucks, um, lettered, uh, tool bags. I don't know. It just, it did. It appealed to me. And he was just always like the coolest guy when I, uh, when I got to be around him, I always loved being around, around uncle Andrew. And what'd you, what'd your dad think of that as a corporate guy? Um, it's actually funny though, because yeah. So my dad, corporate guy, very school, like got to go to college, got to do this. And I, I struggled with that my whole life, man. You know, I can't even tell you the amount of times that I argued with my father because of my bad grades and, and just floating through school. Um, but the funniest part about it is that uh, when I graduated high school, you know, I got into some trouble with the law. I got, I got, uh, I had an apartment and was housing minors. You know, I, I was 18, I was just turned 18. So I was still hanging out with kids in high school that were seniors yeah. and stuff totally not weird if i was like in my 20s that would be weird but it wasn't weird yeah like uh um, like wooderson wooderson from uh days and confused yeah you yeah. weren't like 26 you were you... <laughs> right right so like i was like freshly 18 um and i i moved into this apartment with this kid in saco maine and um we had this huge rager and he was going into the navy the cops came busted it up they ripped up his summons and put it all on me and I got like 30 counts of like minors drinking, um, furnishing a house for minors to drink. So that happened. And then like three months later, I got an OUI. So like my 18, my 18th year, like I got a lot of trouble with the law, a lot of court, a lot of, a lot of lawyer fees. And um, my dad had then moved to Virginia and 
he was like, I didn't have a license. I lost my license. Um, and he's like, you why don't you come down here and, and set yourself straight? So I went down to Virginia and he had bought this farm. <laughs> he retired early. My dad retired at like 46. Again, he did very well for himself. So I go down to this farm. Here's, here's my white collar father buying a farm in Virginia. And him and I started doing carpentry together. We were both like monkeys fucking a football dude. Like he had no idea. <laughs> and, and I had no idea, but here I am. Um, and that was when I first got a taste of working with my hands, dude. And I absolutely loved it. And um, after that, after my little stint down there and my clear up with the law, I, I moved back to Maine. And that's when I started doing stuff with my uncle. And uh, and like he was actually skilled and he knew how to do stuff. So um, he taught me a lot. Right, so your I, feet were wet, like you had a little bit of exposure doing it the wrong way. Yeah. And uh, your uncle was able, I'm sure, to show you the right way to do a lot yeah. of things. And in that, um, in that, in that like from 18 to 20, I did try college. I went to a community college. What a waste of time. But um, I just was like, <laughs> finally, finally at age 20, man, I, I started, uh, I started a semester and I just was like, I'm done, man. I'm like, this is just not for me. And I just, that was it. That was the last of it. So what would you say? I mean, I know a lot of people that I grew up with and I, I know a lot of um, young people who feel pressure to go to college and feel pressure from the parents to live a certain way. And, um, you know, just like myself, run-ins with the law, you know, in your teens, uh, what would you say to somebody in that age? Um, piece of advice, where should they go? What, what should they do to open up their mind? Dude, I, I, I honestly, I think that if anything, like, you know, we're going to talk about trades cause I, they're, they're like, I feel like it's getting to be better, but they've always been kind of like looked down. Like we're like the bottom of the barrel, even though you can make a really good living. So I'm saying like, if you're going to go to college, like go for like plumbing, electricity, something like that. But like, hmm. you could be like my, you could be like my wife, man, who like, she got her master's degree and she's got, I mean, thank God from our house sale in Maine, we were able to pay off all of her debts, but she was 35 years old and had almost a hundred thousand in school, you know, school debt. And it was like, thousands of dollars every month that we were having to pay like her hard-earned money here she does she has this great job in maine making 80k a year and it's like half of her paycheck every month goes to paying off student loans that she didn't even need for what she was doing right I, same thing my wife um you know i was lucky because i didn't have any student loans and my father i paid every dime that i could and then my father picked up the rest you know because he was able to do that as a union pipe fitter in boston Make, make yep. good money. And I told my wife when we first got together, like I got the bills, you just dump it all into getting rid of that freaking loan. Cause she yeah. had a master's degree. And to be honest with you, she doesn't need it for what she does. I mean, right. she would have been better off just getting right in there. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it was interesting. Um, your uncle seemed to be a pretty good mentor for you to get you on the right path to honing your skill. Um, how receptive was he to taking you in, did you guys ever butt heads? Did he have to teach you a thing or two about work ethic? Because that's probably the number one thing that I would say to anybody, like whether it's trades or whatever you go into, finding a mentor is very, very important, more yeah. important than any education you're going to get. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah, totally, man. He taught me all my work, work ethic. It was it was tough love, dude. He was a he was an asshole, but, you know, it was all out of love. <laughs> um, he was brutal, dude. And he threw me into the wolf pack with like, you know, like. He was he, he wore the tool belt for a while and then he was basically GC by the time I got uh, involved with him. And, you know, he just threw me in with his subcontractors like, here's the framing crew. Go have fun. 
you know, they all loved me because I was a little spaz and would do anything they told me to do. Um, but it was, it was, it was a good way to learn, man. And that, that's like, you know, like, what is it? Like a thin skin, like, you know, like all that stuff. Like I had to learn, like, you know, if they're making fun of me, that means they like me, like stuff like that. You know, like if they, if they didn't have crazy nicknames for me, they probably don't like me. Um, but it taught me, it taught me all my work ethic. I learned like everything from him. Um, on top of that, like years later, I started learning a lot from my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is super skilled, man. He knows like, he knows a lot. So like I had my uncle at first and then my brother-in-law now, which is cool because I'm, I'm a partner with him in a business, which is wild because at one point I was, you know, kept couch surfing at his house, a total fucking bum, you know, yeah. <laughs> had no money to his name. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, you want to surround yourself around people that make you better and that help you grow. Right. So you had your uncle and then you had your brother-in-law and you never stopped learning. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of young people, struggle coming into this industry with the thin skin. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's almost like hazing, like back in the day, you know, at, at like high school, junior high or any kind of sports team that you had or anything like that. Like when you come in, the harder the time that they give you, right. The more they make fun of you, the more nicknames that you have, as long as you keep showing up, showing up on time, genuinely try to learn, never have your hands in your pockets, things like that. Uh, you know, th those things will keep coming until yeah. somebody else comes in and then all of a sudden you're one of them and you're doing the same thing to somebody else. Right. Like that's how you like come of age. Like it's a good thing. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, man. Um, I was always eager, eager to learn, dude. I would come in on Saturdays, you know, even if one guy just come in from the crew, like um, just to hang out with that one guy that had so much knowledge and like learn more, you know, like. Uh, go to the shop and back trailers up. And I just, I was, I thought, I still do. Blue collar life is just, it was what was meant for me. Um, and it's an exciting life and you can make good money, but the the money and all that, yeah, that's cool, but it's just not that important to me. Like I actually like to wake up and do what I do every day. And that's way more important. So let's say you got a 18, 19 year old kid coming into advanced contracting right now. What would be some advice uh, that you would give him to shine or, or her, um, you know, what, a what, a what do you want to see out of somebody at that age coming in just to start? Dude, I would say like just showing up and like doing what you're told. That's like the hardest thing, man. Like people don't, it's like one year we, we live in this because I had some young kids work for me in Maine and it's like, we live in this, like, I know it all society and these young kids like come in and yep you to death, but aren't taking in any information you're giving them. Like, just be like a sponge, man. Just like, listen to what I'm saying. And I'm not like a, I'm not, I don't like talk down to people. I'm very like upfront. I'm very like personable. Um, like, I don't like to talk down to people. So like, just like, listen and, and take it all in and just do that. Don't, and if you don't understand, like, tell me, I'd rather you tell me than you tell me you understand. And then you go do it and you fuck it all up and it costs money. Cause that's like what, you know, we're yeah, all time is money. Right. Yeah. So if you're going to go for four hours doing nothing of the wrong thing, that's right. really going to piss you off. Right. So just <laughs> right? tell me like, don't know how to do it and I'm going to show you how to do it. And if you still don't get it, I'll show you again. But like, I'd way rather work with you and show you how to do something than you tell me that you know how to do it when you have no idea what you're doing. 
Yeah, and if you gotta write something down, write something down. Yep. You know, like if it's as simple as go to the store and buy this, or go yep. pick this up, like write it down. Yeah. Uh, because none of us remember everything, right? No. Uh, but but missing one screw, you know, a bag of screws or a bag of nails, I mean, you're dead in the water, right? <laughs> like something that simple, right? So it's it's all important. Um, so you were working with your uncle, younger guy, uh, yeah. party animal, yes. right? And then obviously oh. the the partying became a little too much, yep. right? What did what did that look like? So I, I worked for my uncle till I was about 25. Um, and my uncle always said that I was, uh, my, the days that I was the greatest were um, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And then by Thursday, I was thinking about Friday and Friday, I was thinking about what, how fucked up I was going to get all weekend. So I'd like get messed up all weekend and then show up Monday, you know, I, I always showed up, though. You know what I mean? I always worked hard, but Monday I was a little foggy. Tuesday I was getting better. Wednesday I was great. And then Thursday, you know, I'm, I'm, it's like it was like a vicious cycle. So by age 25, man, me and him were just button heads constantly. And um, I, I, the, my, my MO in life when I was using was I, I ran. I ran from everything. So once things started, in, you know, they weren't going my way anymore, I would just pack up and leave. You know, a lot of geographic changes for me my life and um that was one of the times man i just i cleaned out my truck i gave him my keys back and my, my my work phone and i said i'm done and i i walked out with no plan you know what i mean no plan that was that was me too i just never had plans i just i i, I look back now like in my more spiritual life and, and i'm 36 now and i i know that it was uh, god watching over me but that's a whole nother it's a whole nother story um but I, I, I left at 25, man, and uh, moved up to Monmouth, Maine. I was down in South Brook at that point in my life. Um, and I moved up to Monmouth. And again, surfing on my brother-in-law and sister's couch, man. Just like Mike always took. He, Mike is, uh, he is a hard ass, um, but he has a big heart. And he's always had a very big heart for me and um, always took me in. They always took me in. And I just ended up there. And that's where I lived um, for a while. And uh, did some side work with him, started some side work on my own, um, and then eventually got uh, a job with a company in Portland, um, CA Monsell and Company. And uh, I worked with them for about a year. And Mike Monsell was another great mentor for me for that year because I was always like the best student, man. I was, uh, I was manipulative. I was... Um, I wasn't that great of a guy, but I was always a good student and I always did good work and I always wanted to learn more. So I would always show up. But then again, once things start not going my way, I was like, ah, fuck CA Monsell and company. They're not giving me enough um, opportunity. And that's when I started my own business. I just wrote about this not that long ago, but it's like I went into business at age uh, 27 and I had no work lined up, no money in my savings account. I had a house uh a new wife and um you know she was working thank god but i had nothing like that's how i planned to go into business for myself i had nothing i had i had a bag of tools um because all my companies always had tools for me um i had a bag of tools and i just went for it i just no work lined up just was like so i think i think um you could look at this a couple different ways right like (laughs) At some point, it takes a lot of balls in chutzpah to go off and do your own thing, especially when you're not prepared. Um, I think a lot of people would also say on the flip side, 
that the behavior of just dropping it, saying fuck it and moving on when you didn't get your way is definitely that of somebody with a problem. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. I, 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 I can remember the day clear. So clear. I, I was, um, Mike was a great guy, Mike Monsell, great guy, great mentor. Um, but he was kind of a control freak, you know, um, micromanager. And it always drove me crazy because I had a good skill set. I knew what I was doing. And um, finally, one day he's like, I got this kitchen project. Um, his dad worked for him, who was like 70. He was like a master of all trades. Great guy. Uh, awesome information. Just tons of knowledge. And um, he's like, my dad's on another job. I'm going to have to have you do this kitchen. And I was like so excited that he finally like gave me this opportunity to like do a kitchen by myself. Um, and I showed up to do that, start that kitchen. And his fucking dad was there and his dad was a micromanager too. And he started telling me, and I, I'll never forget it. I was like, I was basically like, fuck you, Carrie. I picked up my bags and I left. And that was the day I said, I'm starting my business. Yep. And that was it, man. I have, that was almost 10 years ago. <laughs> and at this time was, um, addiction like playing that was in the background right like this was and i think a lot of what a lot of people uh may or may not realize that one of the things about construction uh it's definitely an enabler for an addict because there's so much money going around like (laughs) like somebody in the trades doesn't ever really hurt from money they can just i know a lot of people that just work to the next paycheck or the next cash in hand and go right to the bar or just turn and spend it totally right like my uh my uncle it was never, he's never uh, overcome his addiction. He's in his sixties. Uh, but he always says like, Oh, you know, I, I never had to steal from anybody because I worked hard for my drugs yep. and he, and he still does. Uh, so how did you start to find clients? 27 years old, no backlog, uh, no money, no insurance. <laughs> uh, I mean, how did you start to, first of all, would you recommend doing that to somebody? What would you what would you have done differently to prepare yourself to get business and to start a business the right way? And, um, um, yeah, go for it. Yeah. I, I have a plan, you know, have a plan, have some money. It is, it is tough. I mean, there's the economy was not great when I started my business. It was in 2015. So it was like getting better, but, um, it was not, no, not 2015. It was 2014. 2014 or 13. Um, anyways, um, I would just say like, have a plan, have some, have some savings, have a cushion, um, and, and do something to like promote yourself, like to get your name. I don't know. It was, I I got lucky, man. I, you know, I don't really believe in luck all that much, but I definitely got lucky. I, I ended up having one of my mother's friends and, uh, she had this huge bathroom remodel that she wanted done. And she, she knew me from when I was a baby. So she was like, you're my guy. Um, yeah. And I, I got that bathroom and I made that bathroom beautiful. And I started a relationship with some subcontractors. And I, that was when I started my Instagram page. Um, and I started doing stories and I started showing how I was doing my work. And then my following started to grow. And then other people from Maine realtors and stuff were like, Oh, I got this house. I, you know, my client needs to sell. And I was doing everything from sheetrock patches to painting to um, everything besides electric and plumbing. I was doing it all for my first couple years in business. Um, and that was also when my drug addiction and my alcoholism was like escalating. So now I was my own boss. 
Um, now I could show up to work whenever I wanted. Show, to. Yeah, show up late and hungover. Yeah, nobody's gonna give you crap yeah. for it. No, you man, come I up with an excuse that you had to be somewhere else. Right, I never even showed up late. I would just show up drunk, you know, on time. <laughs> <laughs> feeling no pain. Uh, so, I mean, you you touch on a couple things right there. Like, was it luck? Uh, to a degree, yeah, but you had to be prepared to get lucky, right? Like, you had to have the skill set. You had to have a master craft to knock that bathroom out of the park, right? So you. you prepared by having an education you had a skill set that was fully developed and when the fastball came down the middle you hit you hit it out of the park and you made the most of it i think a lot of young people today too they want to be you know social media stars and they want to be instagram influencers and all these things and i think one of the cool things that not a lot of them see are pages like yours where people are doing high quality work i just had a, a pipe fitter on the other day where his welding is like just super quick the content is just super cool right and it's all about building a brand for yourself so um, not only did you hit that pitch out of the park, but you started branding yourself and then word of mouth traveled. And I think that's the best way to start a business. And this is like the first time in history that you're able to do that other than just by word of mouth from your family. Right. You know? Um, so that's, I, I, I think that's very, you know, impactful and profound for, for young people. So talk about where, so the business snowballed, right? You started getting just more and more, you know, offers and people reaching out for you to do work for them. And you probably had people coming in and out personally. This is when your addiction ramped up, right? So like, how did that ramp up? And what was the climax? What was the point of like, holy shit, I have a problem. I need to do something about this. Yeah. So I, I started my business and I, you know, the, the, the drinking was happening more. Um, you know, every evening and then just absolutely black, you know, I was a blackout drinker. So, um, I just, I didn't have to, I didn't have to answer to anyone anymore, man. I was, I was my own boss and, um, I got to make my own decisions and, you know, after like a year in business, I was doing pretty good. Um, but I was spending all my money. Uh, you know, luckily Megan, you know, always had, had, had a job and she could, we had very, we, we always lived comfortably within our means. You know, we had a really small house, really small mortgage. Um, so we scraped by, you know, but she was always kind of wondering where my money was going. And then my last year before I got sober, dude, I was just an absolute fucking mess. I was, I was, I was drunk like all the time. I started drinking on my jobs. So I'm like doing, I'm doing work at people's homes and I'm drinking. And I'm also, I absolutely loved cocaine, loved it. Like, I fucking sniffed that shit up like it was going out of style. And I was, I got to the point where I was doing all the things I said I would never do, you know, like I only got cocaine on the weekends and I would just do it on the weekends and I would just party on the weekends. And then, you know, the drinking started creeping into the weekdays and then, oh, it's a Wednesday, you know, and I finished this job early. So I'm going to get a little cocaine. And then it was just like, it, it took over my life, man. I was doing it every day. I was, no, was it no, like, like I need this to, to work yeah. efficiently. Like <laughs> I, it's, it's like taking a pre-workout, right? Yeah. Like you had to have it to work. Is that where yeah. it got to? Yeah, I was, I was in, in my, in my end, um, before I got sober and was completely broke, I was spending around 3000 bucks a week on my booze and my drugs and my cigarettes. So I would smoke like three to four packs of cigarettes a day. Cause I was on cocaine and you got to keep your mouth busy or else you're going to just talk someone's fucking ear off. Um, and, uh, I was doing about 
I was doing a couple eight balls a day. So I was doing like an ounce of Coke a week. So uh, three grand a week. Yeah. That yeah. is a party, man. Oh, dude, <laughs> dude. I, I was like, I was like Scarface, man. I had a platter in my work truck of just broken out Coke and uh, I would always have beers in a cooler. And um, I was just working. I was building decks and, uh, you know, people loved me because I was high and, energy. And did your wife, did, did your wife, um, well, yeah, that's kind of the thing too, is that like a lot of people, you know, if you're a good time, at least yeah. for most of the time, for most of what people see, maybe when you go home, you're not as good of a time, but um, you know, nobody's going to tell you that it's a problem, right? People just right. want to be around you when they want to partake, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and you're always there for somebody, yeah. right? There's always somebody that wants to have a good time. Yeah. And so did your wife know, so or, my, or did you have her in the dark a little bit? I had her in the dark on my drug addiction. Um, she knew that I drank and she knew that I drank too much and my drinking was only getting worse, um, which was starting to annoy her. Uh, but like, you know, love, love's blind, man. So like, she didn't want to, you know, my family was getting worried about me. I was losing a lot of weight. Um, if you can imagine, I wasn't eating a lot of food when I was on drugs and, um, I was losing a ton of weight. I was looking pretty sick and my family was getting worried. Um, but Megan didn't really want to see it. So like, you know, the last like three, four months, I just played it, man. Like, Oh, that job didn't work out. That's why I don't have any money. You know, I was a really good liar. I was a really good manipulator. I was a really good thief. Um, and I was just like, Rob, I was robbing her of the money she was making. Um, you know, not like actually taking it, but she would give it to me because I, you know, we're married at that point. So, um, yeah, she didn't know, man. And then just, it's just, I got tired, man. I got sick and tired, dude. I was, I, I was lying so much. I couldn't remember lies. Um, a couple of bad things happened where like, I, I didn't have good contracts cause I was just a mess. And, um, a woman signed on this job for like 14 grand. Uh, I somehow got all of the money out of her before I even started the job. And then she, oh, canceled, Jesus. Yeah, she canceled the job on me. I blew all the money out my nose. She canceled the job on me. We had to take out my wife's retirement fund to pay this woman back. Things were just like bad. You know what I mean? Like really bad. And my family was even more worried. Megan was getting worried. And then finally, dude, I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired and I couldn't take it anymore. And we were broke. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I, physically I couldn't. And financially I couldn't, I had driven my business basically into the ground. I had no money. We were broke. We were going to lose our house. I hadn't made my truck payment in like eight months. I hadn't paid Megan's car in like three months. It was like a really bad scene. And, um, I just surrendered, dude. I had to. Now, I can edit this out if you want. Um, you OD'd twice, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I was in. A, so was that like? Was that the point? Was that your rock bottom? Was that like, hey, um, no. Megan's fully aware at this point. No, that wasn't. That wasn't no, rock bottom. Sadly, that wasn't. My rock bottom came about a month later. I was on a. I had been up for like almost a week straight, like no sleep, working and doing drugs, and. Um, Megan and I were out to breakfast and I hadn't slept again in like a week. It was, it was the longest I've ever gone without, without sleep. Um, and, uh, my body just gave out, man. I, I, I was, we were sitting at, we were at a diner in Gardner, Maine, and we were sitting at the, the little bar area and, um, I started feeling like crap. My heart started racing. Um, I was getting cold sweats and like, I felt like I was going to pass out. So I, I said, I needed to go outside. Um, 
and I collapsed in the parking lot. I blacked out, hit the pavement, um, and came to and blamed it on dehydration. That was still when Megan was like, she didn't want to believe it. She knew something was going on, but she didn't want to believe it. Um, I blamed it on dehydration and, uh, yeah, like next day I was back doing fucking drugs, man. That I didn't even, you know. And then like again, like a couple weeks later, uh, same kind of deal happened by myself, and I I snapped out of it by myself. I was in my shop at that point. It was my garage that I turned into a man cave where I would just party by myself. And um, you know, I never went to the hospital. I never got like they never said you definitely overdose, but like I know it. You know, dude, I was doing I was doing more cocaine than any human being should be doing. Um, my tolerance was so huge. So I was escalating. I was ramping it up every time. Like, OK, that didn't do it. So now I got to do this much. And uh, I was just playing with fire, man. You know, and uh, I have friends that have overdosed that yeah. didn't didn't go to the hospital. Like overdose doesn't mean necessarily you die. Right. Right. Um, so I, I can definitely attest to that. When you're, so, when you're going like this and then you black out and you wake up on the floor, something happens. <laughs> yeah, your body's yeah, your body's hitting pause. Right. Uh fortunately it wasn't it wasn't a permanent pause. Um so what was the thought? Was it Jesus like like who came down and like shook you? <laughs> Dude. Because if that's not rock bottom and you even you even went on for another month. Uh, I don't know what is. So what did it take for you uh, to see a little light? I was, uh, I was, I was on my last bag of blow. I had a, I had some beers and a fifth of Jack Daniels. Um, I had about five bucks in my pocket. I was supposed to be, again, we like couldn't pay our mortgage. All this bad shit was happening. I was supposed to be on like two jobs that I had going and my fuck it's just became, you know, kept getting bigger. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to mm. party. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to drink. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to do coke today. And I was just in my shop by myself going crazy. And, um, I was, we had this, we had like three acres and we had, I had this big window in my shop that outlooked our field that we had. And I just remember sitting there going like today's day, man, like I can't do this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to come clean. I'm going to tell everything. And, um, you know, I had great intentions of doing that, but as the day prolonged and then Megan told me she was coming home, that all just, I'm like, no, 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 definitely not. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep lying. I'll get through this. I'll, I'll figure out a way. Um, but I just got caught, man. My sister had called Megan that day and Megan came home crying and she said, I basically wanted me to take a piss test because um, she knew something was up. And I just, I just said, you know what, this is it. And I, and I, and I stopped. I just, so your uh, wife basically held you accountable yeah and my whole family and you know uh strike by the iron's hot my mom was there uh the next day and they got me into rehab um down in new hampshire and i was there i was there two days after i actually so my last my last drink and drug was um november 14th but i smoked pot to like calm myself because i knew i was going to rehab i'd been on drugs and alcohol for a substantial amount of time so i needed something um, and then the 15th, I showed up at a rehab and I haven't had a drink or a drug since November 15th of 2000. So was that a, um, 30 day, 90 day, 30 day. Yeah. 30 day there. Uh, you know, take your phone type shit. Can't have, I got to call my wife once a day. I mean, once a week. Um, and she got to come see me every Sunday. Uh, but yeah, 30 days, man, they introduced me into Alcoholics Anonymous. 
um, the 12 steps and, uh, and have you been in AA since? Yeah, I was, you know, there was a, there was a point, you know, I, I, I like to talk about it. I don't like, I don't like to talk. I like to keep my anonymity like a little bit, you know, not talk about AA so much, but talk about the 12 steps and, um, okay. you know, they were a huge, they were a huge, uh, help to me in my early recovery and, it got me back on my feet, man. And I saw, you know, I found a higher power who I choose to call God. And now I'm, I'm going into it a little deeper with Jesus. But, um, I, I, I got gifts like real fast in sobriety. Like I'm a skilled dude. I have, I have a craft like, and Mm -hmm. I was burning all of that to the ground with my drug addiction. So as soon as my head got cleared, it was like my craft exploded and, um, things happened fast for me. Like, my business sparked off. Like I actually tried to go back. I, I said, you know what, to knock some stress off, I'm going to go back to work for somebody. And that lasted like six weeks. And I was like, okay, this is why I went into business for myself. I remember yeah. now. And, um, I, I, I just, I went off on my own again and my business just ramped up, dude. I started making money hand over fist. Uh, you know, within a year I had a new truck, uh, in that year I had so much work. I didn't know what to do with. Oh, it's Instagram. incredible when you're not blowing three, uh, three grand a week. <laughs> what you can buy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So listen, I, I just want to point out how unlikely it is that you would overcome something that quick. Um, you know, 22 million Americans in recovery, 15% of construction workers battle um, alcohol and drug abuse. When the rest of the population is so 15% of construction workers struggle with um, alcohol and drug abuse compared to 8.6% of the rest of the population. So you're twice as likely to struggle with such an addiction in our industry. And I think the, the reasons are obvious. M- much of it is the lifestyle that, that you laid out there. Yep. Um, and the, the, then the list goes down, right? Like it's, it's 50% more likely to abuse cocaine, seven times more likely to die of an opioid overdose, which was not your issue. Uh, 25% of all fatal opioid overdoses are construction workers, but the, but so I've very clearly laid out that we as an industry have a problem, right? And there's plenty of people out there that, that need to hear your message. And I think that it is really important that they understand the steps that you took, uh, to find recovery. Like, first of all, you got to have, whether it's yourself or somebody stepping in, you got to recognize somebody holding you accountable and you got to take advantage of it. But, um, 90% of people who need rehab don't receive it. So the odds aren't good right there off the bat, right? Like there was a 90% chance that you weren't going to go to rehab at all. Right. 60% relapse in a month, 80 to 85% relapse in a year. So overwhelming odds again, that you were going to stay sober, which you've done for years now, uh, 40% within two years. And then after that, it goes down to 10 and 7.2%. So if you make it through the first two years, it seems like the odds swing overwhelmingly in your favor. Um, what would you say to somebody, uh, that thinks they might be struggling or thinks that, you know, they have a problem that they need to address? What, what would you say to that person? Get help, man. Go, going away, going away for 30 days. Some people need it longer. I mean, some people go into sober living after, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, and then they go live in a sober house for a year with a bunch of sober people and get put back into the world. Um, I had a family, no, you know, I didn't have a kid yet, but I had Megan and I, we had a dog and we had a house and we had bills. And, um, I, I I was like on a pink cloud, man. I, 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 I never, 
I never thought about God. I never, I never was much religious, a religious person. So when they brought me into rehab and told me this is what you need to do in order to get, get sober, it was very easy for me to attach to. And instantly as I attached to that, like my life got better. You know what I mean? Like I went into rehab, like I went into carpentry. Like I was just a absolute sponge, like everything they told me to do, I did it. Um, I never, I, there was people in my group, we had, I was in a rehab of 20. I went to a small place cause I think I needed that. Um, you know, there was rebellious people, people that didn't want to do it, but then again, they didn't want to get sober. You know what I mean? Like you have to want it for yourself and you have to be willing to do it. You cannot get sober for anybody else. You can't like, you can love, you can love your family. You can love your wife. You can love your job. You can love all those things. But if you don't love yourself, you're, a, it's hard to love anything else. And B, you're just not you're just not gonna do it for anybody else. You have to do it for yourself. And I was like finally like I was just ready to do it, man. Um but so but. so some of the most helpful things that, that I have listed here that you know you go to the internet, who's all knowing. Yeah. Eliminating <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Eliminating people, environment change, triggers. Um, it sounds like you didn't go into a sober home, and I think a lot of people that come out of a sober home the struggle is coming back into reality and re-entering the environment that you were around. Right. So yep. did you have to change your environment? Like remove yep. triggers people? What'd you do? Yeah. So I, I got rid of my cell phone number. I changed my phone number, um, deleted every contact I had, including all my drug dealers, everything. Um, I stopped hanging out with the people that I hung out with, which was actually pretty easy because when they found out I got sober, they didn't want to hang out with me anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, uh, that, uh, you know, um, just like the way of life, man, I, I got into my 12 step program, you know, I'll say AA because that's what it was. Um, I went to a shit ton of meetings. I met a bunch of sober people. Uh, I just got, I got absorbed into recovery, you know? Um, and that's what I had to do. i actually didn't work for, after I got out of rehab, I didn't work for like three, three and a half months. All I did was go to meetings and work on myself. You know, um, I was doing the steps. So I had a sponsor at the time and I was, I was going through the steps. I wanted to really get through those um, because they teach you how to live, man. Like, you know, like they teach you how to not have ex uh, expectations of people. You know, there's a lot of shitty people in the world. But there's also a lot of sick people in the world. They don't mean to be shitty. They're just sick. Whether you're an addict or an alcoholic, some people just suck. Like, but it's not their fault, man. They're just sick. And they like the 12 steps could go so far beyond alcoholism and drug addiction. Like, a normal person that just might be having a hard day could benefit from the 12 steps. Like, um, so that is like the biggest thing. Like you have to change, you have to change your life. If you don't want change, you're not going to change. If you go to a rehab for 30 days and then you get out and go hang out with the same people that drink beer and smoke weed and can give a shit about you, you're easily going to get roped back into that. Um, and that how did you, did you have to redefine fun? Yeah. Yeah, man. I still struggle with that, dude. Like, you know, I, I, you know, going into my story a little bit, like I got, I went from uh, an addict and an alcoholic to like a straight up workaholic. Like I was like, first I was like King AA, like I started a meeting and I was opening the meeting and I was making coffee and I was doing all these things. And then like my business started getting busy. So then like, I kind of started putting that on the back burner. Um, you know, I stopped talking to sober people. I just got absorbed in my work. Like I, mm. my business was going crazy. I got absorbed in Instagram, Instagram, I, <laughs> I got absorbed in Instagram. Um, I, I, I was like, I made that like my work, Instagram, like 
I went crazy with that shit. And I did for like three years, you know, like I became, I hate the fucking word. I hate, I hate the word influencer, but I started doing stuff for companies and I started doing paid partnerships and dude, slowly, but surely, like I talked about it. I posted about it. You know, I went to church on Sunday for Christmas Eve candlelight service. And um, from where my life was last year at this time, to where it is right now, I am like a totally different person. I am not a perfect person. I struggle every day. And, um, but I got absorbed in myself again. So like you got your ego, everybody's got an ego. And when you're an alcoholic an active alcoholic and addict, you, your ego is so big that you may not realize it, but your ego is so big. And when you get sober and you go through the 12 steps, it's all about cutting down your ego. Mm. And, and making you right size you're not that fucking important um but i am a work i'm i'm a work in progress aren't we all and um so you know i think at, at first it sounded like instagram was a good thing right because you were serving yep. a purpose right you were uh you know you go back and look at some of your, your old stuff and in the um skilled and sober podcast like the purpose was spreading a message for people that you know needed that help and it needed an example. And when you think about faith, you know, you're supposed to serve God with the gift that you were given, right? You're supposed to be serving other people, but it sounded like, and I don't think that Instagram or social media is all that bad. It depends on how you use it. Right. But right. if it, if it evolves to the point where all of a sudden it's about your ego and serving yourself instead of serving God or any greater purpose outside of yourself, that's when it becomes a negative. Right. Yeah, man, I, I see it. I see it a lot. I see good dudes uh, gain a following and just turn into egomaniacs. I, I don't want to say that I was like a complete. I feel like I always kept it real on Instagram with people, but I was definitely absorbed in myself and I was absorbed in my business and I became a selfish asshole again in my sobriety. I called sobriety because I, I stopped, you know, I was going like every once in a while I'd show up. Hey, I'm still here, you know, at an AA meeting just to like make myself feel better that I was there. Um, but yeah, man, I was like, you know, I was like, all these companies are sending me stuff and I was like giveaways and just like obsessed with like the following, man. I just yeah. got very, very, very absorbed in it. And slowly it took over like everything, like my morning routine, like reading my books and praying to God and all that stuff went out the door. And I was like, as soon as I'd wake up, I was in my phone, on Instagram, um, throughout my whole day, on my work day, I'm doing stories. And it slowly took over my life, man. I, I, I talk about this, um, you know, and some people get offended, but it's like, this is just my, this is just what happened to me. So like this last year, like last Christmas Eve, I was, um, so my son's like a miracle, man. Like I might get emotional, sorry, but my son's like a miracle. Like two years of hell, man, like, going through IVF and having to like stick shots in my wife and like to like finally and spending thousands like in thousands of dollars like 60,000 70,000 to have this child and like we we have him he's born and I'm like at a very low spot in my life like I'm just like absorbed with myself and my business and I could give a shit about anybody and I'm, I'm I've become a father and I I hate it and I don't know what to do about a crying baby and I have no spiritual program. I'm not working the 12 steps and the 12 principles. I am absorbed in Garrett and nothing's going my way. And Christmas Eve came, man. And I was sitting there uh, with my newborn, you know, my child, he's, 
he's like four months old at that point. He's like this little thing. And I'm sitting there on my couch on Christmas Eve. And I'm just absolutely miserable in the house that I built with my bare hands. Always wanted to build my own house. That was my dream. Did that in sobriety. I have the fucking brand new Duramax in the garage in my heated garage. I have the wife's Tahoe. I have the beautiful wife sleeping. I have all the shit. I'm on the lake. I got the sun, you know, I got all the stuff that the American dream, man, I have all of this and, and a newborn child and I'm sitting there fucking miserable. Money in the bank, miserable, all the things I ever wanted, you know, and that and that's when it hit me, man. I it's all just stuff like it doesn't matter. It just doesn't. And that, and this whole year, like that was a low point for me in my sobriety. Thank God I didn't drink because guess what? I was going to the International mm -hmm. Builder Show in Vegas last or actually this. Year, no, yeah, this year. And, and that's was, party. Like, yeah. And and I was having thoughts like I'm going to go there. I'm not going to know that many people and I can get away with, I'm going to, I, you know, I could get away with it. You know, I was having thoughts. I didn't make plans to do it, but I was having thoughts. So it was only a amount of time. And um, thank God I didn't drink. And thank God I went to an AA meeting that morning. I went, I, I was like having an emotional breakdown. I walked into the bedroom and said, I need to go to a meeting. And my wife was like, thank fucking Jesus that you're going to go to a meeting. Cause she saw it, you know, like I was changing, man. Yeah. She saw it coming. Um, yeah. And uh, I did that. And now here I am a year later, man, lots of big changes happened. Um, lots of spiritual growth. Like that's what it's all about for me. And Instagram got put on the back burner. Like I don't, I don't do a lot on it, but funny enough, like you don't have to do that much on it and your following will still grow. So like, right. um, I, I found the balance and moving to Florida, going into business with my brother-in-law has given me more balance. Like he understands family. He loves my son. Like he's a great uncle. Like I have more time to be home. Um, you know, like I'm not working today. Like I don't need to go to work today. The work's going to be there tomorrow. I've just found a balance that I really, I lost, man. And the biggest thing for me was God. Like I just, spiritual growth for me has been the most important thing in the last year. And like, I can't lose that. And uh, getting down here, I got in church, man. And now it's all about Jesus, dude. Like I. So oh, we could do a whole nother fucking episode of church down here. It's totally different than it is in, in New England. Yeah. Um, like way different. Uh but I, I, I want to try to paraphrase, you know, what you just said, because I think it's really important. We never have the answers and identifying your purpose and serving that purpose always intentionally, like every single post that I make and every single thing that I do. I mean, I, I have posts like ready to hit, send it. And I'm like, I always try to ask myself, like, does this actually serve my purpose or am I serving my ego and, right. and my 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 urge to grow a following? And I'll hit delete. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just like, you know what? The answer is no. Like I'm doing it. I'm doing it for the wrong reasons. I'm doing it to, to post something inflammatory to, to get more people's attention and right. I'll, I will delete it. Um, in a path to always, or on the journey to, to constantly improve spiritually, spiritually, financially, personally, um, you know, your purpose can change, right? So it sounds, it sounds like, um, your purpose was one thing maybe a couple of years ago and you had to reevaluate that as a family man. Now, is it God? Is that the purpose that you're trying to serve? Is it, is it your family? Like what is, what is the thing that, that keeps you balanced and keeps you focused, um, on the right path? God, God first and everything else comes after that, man. I just put God first and it all works out. It's as simple as that. Like it's, it's like, I was, I was putting, I was always putting my sobriety first for a while. And then I started putting everything before my sobriety. And then God just went out the, out the door and like, 
And that's a very important thing. That that's a concept that I don't think a lot of. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I, oh. I I have to because it's important. Because then you can become a, a worshiper of sobriety, right? right? And and everything that comes with it. And that's not what it's about either. No, and it's like, yeah, it's not. And it, dude, even like social media has made like <laughs> sobriety like hip. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. like sobriety influencers on here now. Like and that's cool. Like that, if that's what keeps you sober, like I'm never going to judge somebody for how they stay sober. Yeah. Whatever works. Yeah. Good on you. Like that didn't work for me, you know, feeding my ego and gaining a following and building my dream house that, you know, I sold a year later now living in Florida. Like I, I, I got a lot of things put into perspective over this last year. Um, and yeah, I just, dude, I put God first before everything. I wake up and usually before I get out of bed, I say my first prayers and then I go um, read a couple of AA books and, and I read the Bible and I go to church every Sunday. Um, I have a home group. I go to that home group every Thursday. That is my dedication. No matter what, I'm going to my home group meeting on Thursdays and then I go to church on Sunday. That's kind of like my sobriety balance because it's not just about meetings and going to church. You can go to church every Sunday and still be a piece of shit. So it's like yeah. every day. Yeah every day is like a day that I can, um, you know, be of God, you know, be of service to God. And I just like have to be, and some days I fail miserably, you know, um, some days I have to start over, but I, I pray, I pray a lot. And, um, I learned that if I do not put God first, all of that, all the stuff that comes after that just goes away. You know, like if I drank again, dude, you know, I lose my wife, I lose my son, I lose everything. So this is why like the materialistic world that we live in, like I found out, like I still like stuff, dude. Like I got a nice truck and we bought a nice house. Down. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying I don't like things, but those things don't make me happy. If I'm not, ha if I'm not happy, like deep down inside, like those are just, and I think, I, th I think, yeah, like a lot of people misconstrue, you know, be, being religious or, or, you know, serving God as like, you're supposed to be poor. God doesn't want you to be poor. Like right. that's not the, that's not the intent. It's just not to worship those things. Right. Um, and I think a lot of people, a lot of people like get, Ooh, icky God, like that used to be me two years ago, you know, yeah. like don't talk about religion to me. I'm an atheist and you know, it's all, you know, crap or whatever. But I think no matter wh who you are, whether you have faith, whether you don't have faith, the, the key is serving a greater purpose outside of yourself. And as long as you're serving that greater purpose outside of yourself, uh, the value will follow. Yep. Um, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do just want to, I want to, um, I want to talk about what you would say to somebody who is thinking about coming to the industry, whether they're young, whether they're old, maybe they're struggling with addiction and they need a path forward. Like they need to find a career, uh, because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with that are, that are, have bad habits in their life. Right. And they don't know what to do and they don't know how to get a start. How would you, what advice would you give to somebody that wants to make a jump into the industry? Um, whether it be for an electrician or a carpenter or, you know, somebody that doesn't have a skill, but wants to. The advice. I don't know, man. It's like, like I would say, just start calling contractors, like just, yeah. just literally ABC contracting, just go down the phone book and call them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, I mean, that's easy to find, especially down here. Look at all. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 I, I would say too, like, you gotta love you. I said it earlier. You gotta love it. It's important to me. Like you have to love what you do, man. Like, so like just pick a trade. If trades really interest you, pick something that 
don't just go for it because of the money. Like make sure you're going to want to wake up every day and go do what you do. You know, like I, I wake up every morning and I look forward to going to the shop and seeing all the guys and doing some stuff on my laptop before I hit the job site. Like that's, I love that hustle, but I also now don't let the hustle take over me because there's way more than life than work, you know, and money. Um, so yeah, I would just say, make sure that you do. There's so many opportunities in the trades. It's not just car. You, you know that it's not just carpentry, plumbing and electric. There's like, so much um yeah there's like 45 different trades right if, exactly. if, you, if you lay them out there there's options so like if you think you want to be a carpenter and then after a year like wow i don't really, there's there's plenty of opportunities so just like give it your all and make sure you love it man love what you do like and don't just put hashtag love what i do on instagram when you really don't love what you do like actually right. love what you do like that's that's and that, that's important for the people that want to because one of the coolest parts about your story is that you've started your own thing uh, and that you've been successful. What would you say to the people that want to break off and start their own thing? Um, you know, obviously there's the take a leap of faith, just, you know, fuck it, do it. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to do it unless you just jump. Um, what about like when it comes to contracts or vetting clients, uh, would you say to somebody that wants to start their own business? Well, I would say first off, before you start your own business, get some time under your belt. A lot of these young cats are like, you know, a carpenter for two years and they're like, nah, I'm ready. You know, I was like, yeah. I was like 10 years in before I actually made the jump. So I had a lot of, I saw how businesses were run, how I would run mine, how I would not run mine. I saw a lot of do's and don'ts. Um, I learned a lot. I learned how to do things right. I learned how to do things wrong. Um, so like, give it time. Like you're young, like give it some time. Um, and then for like vetting clients, dude, we started, you know, in Maine, I started charging for all of my, my estimates. And that right there was enough for me to vet my clients. You really learn, you really learn the type of person when they like, if they're going to scoff at you charging for an estimate or if they're not, because um, if they pay you to do an estimate and a takeoff and all that stuff, then they already got skin in the game. And most likely they're probably going to use you. If someone says you're ridiculous and they don't want to pay that, then you probably didn't want them as customers anyways. Um, but at the same time, if you have, if you have no proven track record, they're not going right. to pay for an estimate. That would make them an idiot. Right, right. Well, you're totally, right. Totally, <laughs> no, and it took me, it took me like five or six years in business to finally start charging because I was just okay. tire kickers. Um, and then when I got into building homes, I was like, there's so much involved in building a house that I can't waste my subs times in my time on a house because you can have a hundred hours into a house design and, and figuring out pricing. So it's like, I had to start charging. Um, and you know, it just, dude, it just, it comes with time man. just give it time. Like that's all, like everything takes time. Like it just, I always wanted to build houses and it took me about seven years to get there. And then it's like, you know, then I, then I got there and I, I dude, I, I turned, I, I, I shut down two houses before I, I came here. I, I, I literally had a successful business with, you know, well over a million dollars worth of work that I was supposed to be doing. And I, and I gave it all up to come down here and make a change. Like we didn't even talk about like me coming here. Like that was part of, it was kind of like part of my spiritual growth too. Like a change, man. Like Maine is depressing, cold winters. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
you know, I was in Southie and now I'm here. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it's, it's all depressing. It was cool, man. We found, we, the other day I was going through a notebook and I found uh, Megan and I's pros and cons list that we made in the, we came down here in February last year to see my brother and blonde sister. And um, in the airport, we made our pros and cons list of moving here. And it's like, now we're here like almost eight months later. It's just like, dude, life moves fast, man. But everything takes time. So I would just say like, you know, oh, I think, you know what I'll say? One, one, one thing I'll say, just because you can get the job doesn't mean you need it. That's uh, pigs get slaughtered. What is it? Pigs get slaughtered. No. Um, I don't, I don't know. Hogs, ho- pigs get slaughtered, ho- hogs eat, but pigs get slaughtered. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like in other words, if you just eat everything that you possibly can, that's put in front right. of you, you're going to, you're going to get fucked. Like make like, sure that you're, make sure yeah. you're going to make profit, you know, like don't just take yeah. a job, a job. Sometimes in the beginning, you don't have that option, but as you grow, you definitely do. If you're, if your business is going to be successful, you will get to that point where you can like pick and choose what you're going to do. Yeah. And I think, you know, and there's not a ton of depth to go into here, but I moved down here. No problem because of the construction industry, right? Like it never had out in my mind that I was going to have a job. My wife, on the other hand, had it not been for COVID and had they not, you know, bet, gone remote entirely, I don't know that she ever could have made an easy transition down here. So I think it's super cool that, um, you know, the flexibility that you have just by having that skill set to go wherever you want. I mean, you could move to freaking Idaho or yep. Alaska if you really wanted to. Um, right. You know, Florida's probably better than both those places, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you could if you wanted to. Um, well, listen, man, if you do you have anything else? Because I think I think we covered a ton here, and there's a ton of value for anybody that would listen. But if you had um, anything else that you wanted to say, you know, the floor is yours. No, I don't. I don't think I have. Uh, again, as I always say on any podcast that I'm on, it's like if anybody um, ever wants to reach out, like I'm always I'm always down to talk about sobriety, um, how I did it, you know, how you can do it. Um, that's most important to me, man. Helping others. It's a big part. Step 12. You know what I mean? It's like, I have to, I have to help others to get out of myself. Um, right. So that, that's the biggest thing for me. It's like, I'm always, I'm always a, I'm always a set of years for sure. All right. Well, you can reach out to him at the life of bub, right? B U B. That's a, that's a main thing. Uh, everybody's bub. And yep. <laughs> so the life of bub, um, and again, you can follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, uh, and I think some other platforms out there that just randomly gets distributed to. Uh, but you can follow me at The Construction Mentor on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And uh, I appreciate you coming on here. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad we got it in. Finally. And, and uh, you know, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Merry Christmas, buddy.